Bibles with you, please turn once again to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. In the first few chapters of Mark, he uh, will stack layer upon layer of evidence that Jesus' word really does have actual and absolute authority. It makes things happen. And not just anything, divine things, unearthly things, eternal things. And a few weeks ago we talked about how in the last part of chapter 1, Mark begins to show us what will be the heart of Jesus' ministry. What it is that he's going to be doing while he's here. Healing, casting out demons, but mainly, mainly preaching the word. In fact, those other two things, healing and casting out demons, are there so that... His word will be listened to. In the middle of our text this morning, in verse 38, we hear Jesus speak in explicit terms about the purpose of his coming for the very first time in Mark's gospel. In Jesus, we realize that God can come close to us. But of course he can, right? He made us. We're on his terms. We are his creation, even if we rebel. The question for us is, What it has always been, can we come close to him? The old covenant system under the Mosaic law was characterized, if anything, by distance, by separation. It was marked by constant reminders that we were not only unclean and needed washed and atoned for, but because of that, we were not permitted to come into his presence. We could not get close to God. But in the story, Mark is telling us about Jesus. All of that is about to change. The word of God in Jesus Christ brings unclean sinners like us directly into the very presence of God himself. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, I come to you asking for your presence and for your power. Lord, for the sake of your name. For the sake of your son and your people, overshadow me completely, that I might proclaim your word and that everyone listening might hear and believe and understand. Therefore, these things I ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verses 29 through 34 of chapter 1. It says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James And John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. When the... uh, synagogue in Capernaum was excavated. They discovered it was this great limestone edifice that had actually been built on top of a first century foundation of an earlier synagogue. That's the synagogue in which Jesus preached and exercised the demon-possessed man we read about in the earlier part of the chapter. But interestingly, further excavations at that site revealed a building that stood very closely to the synagogue. It was a home that had been built with this unusual feature of doors that opened up into a large area where people could gather. Historians, uh, archaeologists not only believe this home served as a church, 
in early Christian times, but that this building was the home of the Apostle Peter that we're reading about this morning. That would explain verse 29, as Peter's home must have been very close to the synagogue for them to get there so quickly. Mark's description of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law is not very detailed, unlike the very dramatic story of the leper that we'll read at the end of this chapter. Since Peter was Mark's main source, remember, for writing this gospel, uh, the fact that or the healing of his mother-in-law serves mainly to establish the fact right off the bat that Jesus can do this. Jesus has real power, real authority, even over sicknesses. Mark is continuing to prove to us what was said in verse 22 and verse 27, that Jesus' word has authority. It is extremely important to Mark to keep reminding us that the word of Jesus, that Jesus himself has Authority. That's something he really wants us to know. In verse 32, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. He's speaking, of course, in hyperbole to make the point that there's a huge crowd at the door of his house. It feels like the whole city is there. The news about Peter's mother-in-law's healing had spread very quickly. So we read in verse 34, and he healed many, not all, He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So late into the evening, Jesus was healing, casting out many demons, displaying how great his power and authority were. And he would not permit the demons to speak. He demands that they keep quiet. He wouldn't let them talk. He won't let them gain power over him as they would try to. By naming him. But he also doesn't want his fame to spread too quickly at this point. It's referred to as the messianic secret often in Mark that Jesus was keeping his identity quiet. There's work to be done that fame and fame that grew too quickly would interrupt. And so Jesus doesn't want his identity broadcast, so to speak. We pick it up in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed And went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus was God in human flesh, and his work made him tired tired. Nevertheless, he got up very early so that he could be alone and pray while it was still dark. Apparently, this is how he refreshed himself and refocused. The significance of that for you and I probably can't be overstated. How much more do we need this if our Lord needed it? Mark mentions three times in his gospel that Jesus does this here uh, when he walked on water in 646. Then when he's betrayed in chapter 14, his disciples, they get up. He's not there. They start searching for him, hunting for him. Jesus has apparently done a very good job at isolating himself. But eventually, no matter how much he tried, they find him. People always find you, right? And they almost rebuke him. It's what everyone is looking for you. What are you doing here? Where have you been? Right? People need you. You can't be wandering off. You're popular now. Everybody wants to see you and be with you. Notice Jesus does not say... Oh, awesome. That's what I wanted. Let's set up shop right here. Let's capitalize on a good thing. No, 
Jesus knew why he was getting popular. The people were looking for healing, not for truth. They wanted their felt needs met, not their most pressing needs. Jesus, even when he scratches that itch, doesn't do it for very long, beloved. They didn't want to hear about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. They didn't want to hear him preach the word. They wanted healed. They wanted their health to improve, their suffering to be relieved. And listen, there's nothing wrong with this. Of course the people wanted that. How could they not? We all want these things. That's natural. And Jesus is able to address those things. But he did not come to heal everyone's diseases or perform miracles for every single person. Beloved, that is not what he did because it wasn't why he came. It served the purpose of why he came. And so often, so often, we only come to Jesus because we want relief. But also, so often we're only aware of the needs we feel, not the needs we might actually have. We're driven as people by what we feel, by what is most pressing to us in the moment. Jesus Christ came into the world for much more than personal needs like this. Have you ever tried to tell a baby, I think we've talked about this before, a toddler, to look at something? Look, look. And they look at you. They just look at you. Or if you're lucky, they look at your, your finger. They'll look at your finger because you're going like this. You don't want them to look at you. You don't want them to look at the finger. They're not looking at what you want them to see. When it comes to Jesus, don't look at the wagging finger. Look at what it's pointing to. The main reason to pursue Jesus is not the needs, the very real needs we have for physical relief or an end to our suffering and trials. The main reason, the main reason to pursue God and hunger for Him and for His presence is the ever-increasing and desperate need we have to know the truth and to be clean. We're praying for anything and everything under the sun. And in one sense, it's fine. But in another sense, Jesus is the bread of life, right? The world is in the darkness. And often we're praying like for our kids to win their basketball game or something. And look, it's, I mean, I suppose it's fine. Cast your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. But sometimes the cares are a little silly, right? Jesus is life. Jesus is truth. But maybe most of all, we're looking for what we can do for the Lord, right? When we're still filled with sin and filled with unbelief, we need someone who knows us better than we know ourselves if we're going to get the help we actually need. We need someone that doesn't just have the eyes to see what our realist needs are and can simply empathize with us. We need someone who has the power and the ability to address our greatest needs. This isn't mean or uncaring of Jesus to be like this. To care more about the truth than he does about immediate needs. Jesus' eyes are on eternity. Healed people still die. Right? It's unavoidable. Lazarus eventually died for good. Right? Suffering people who are relieved are still going to suffer. Those things are for this world. But there's more 
than this world. There is more to being alive than relief and ease and comfort and gain. Our needs are much more real than what we feel in any given moment. That doesn't mean we don't have those needs. It means Jesus has come mainly to address the greatest need. So in spite of his power, in spite of his popularity in this region, we hear him say in verse 38 when they tell him that everyone's looking for him, he has a crowd that wants him. He says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also for. That is why I came out. Verse 39, and he said to them, or verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus is saying, listen, the people here are too caught up in the fact that I have the power to heal diseases and to cast out demons. So let's go to places where I can keep preaching. Right? That's why I came. People need to hear my word. He was not going to be distracted from preaching because people were clamoring for his power. And people were going to disagree with Jesus. That it was more important that he preach than that he heal. They still disagree with Jesus. People still accuse Jesus and those who follow him as not being relevant, as being aloof or not aware of what the real needs in the world are. If you want to know what the real needs in the world are, you look at Jesus, not the people claiming to have them. People still accuse Jesus of not being relevant. But beloved, in a world where we are too blind and dead to know the difference between what matters and what doesn't, we need Jesus to be better than us. We need Jesus to be smarter than us. And beloved, He is. He is. There is never a time, ever, when our greatest need is not the proclamation of His Word and promise in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now watch this all come together here. This is what Mark is doing in this beautiful story that ends chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to Him, imploring Him and kneeling, said to Him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. So Jesus is not without pity, right? That's not why he says we got to go to other towns. There's hundreds probably people here that still need healing, need help, but we have to get to the other towns that I may preach. It's not because he doesn't have pity on the needs of people. He's moved with pity. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, There it is again, all through chapter 1. And people were coming to him from every quarter. In the ancient world, during the first century, there were 72 distinct skin diseases that were categorized under the very broad heading of leprosy. We don't know which variant this man had. might have been Hansen's disease, the worst form of leprosy. But any form of leprosy was disastrous for people in these days. The Old Testament background here is... Leviticus 13 and 14, which describe the details of how the covenant community 
had to handle cases of leprosy. If you were a Jewish person and woke up one morning with a strange spot on your skin, it would have been terrifying. The first thing you had to do was go show yourself to the priest. Under the guidance of God's word, he would determine whether it was harmless or whether it was leprosy, which not only meant you had a horrible skin disease that you would probably have for the rest of your life, it was the worst possible news you could hear as it pertained to your life in your home, the community, the assembly. You weren't just considered unwell. You were considered unclean. Leprosy cannot be healed in the ancient world, so you're basically cast out of your community entirely. You weren't allowed near the temple. You couldn't enter the gates of Jerusalem. You had to wear tattered clothes. You didn't do your hair. You had to cover the lower portion of your mouth. Um, as you walked around so the people would know from a distance that you were a leper, you weren't allowed to come within 50 paces of another human being. If you saw people approaching you, you had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that you wouldn't spread your contamination. To be a leper was to be the ultimate outcast in the community of Israel. This man had been examined by the priest. The sore had turned white. The diagnosis was leprosy. That means he's had to leave his family, his wife, his children, his home. He's lived as a homeless person, completely isolated from human contact. And he's heard there's this man, Jesus, who has power to heal. So he breaks the law of Moses, runs up to Jesus, falls down, cries out in faith, If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, of course, says, well, I, I would, but you've broken the law, so you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to get the, yourself cleaned up first and then come back to me. That's not what happens at all, is it? Moved with pity in verse 41, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Always take note of how Jesus responds in the Gospels to people who know they need him as opposed to people who want something from him for their own gain. Not only is the leper not allowed to touch a non-leper, a non-leper is not allowed to touch a leper. That was the law. Yet, Jesus touched him. Have you ever pulled up to an intersection, to a traffic light, and it's working, but there's a cop there directing traffic? And even though the light might be red, he waves you on, and you go. Right? Because you know in that moment, the representative of the law supersedes the written code about lights. So you don't worry about a ticket. You don't, get, you don't worry about getting pulled over. Jesus Christ supersedes the written code, beloved. He supersedes it. If the unclean cannot be touched by God, despite our sin and iniquity, we cannot be healed. If there's something that prevents Jesus from touching the unclean, there is no salvation. If there's something greater than him, we cannot be saved. But Jesus is moved with pity and mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm here now. It will be all right. Jesus has divine prerogative, beloved. He hates what the fall has done to us. So in verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. There's that word again, immediately. It's used nine times in chapter one alone. I think 35 or 36 in the whole book. What Jesus does, he does now. And notice it's his spoken word that heals the man. 
a disease for which there was no known cure, one of the deadliest dreaded diseases in the ancient world, is gone completely, immediately. That's what his word can do if he so wills it, and he does. Verse 43, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus doesn't void the law by overriding it, but he does fulfill it. It's not over him. He is over it. Here, he hasn't yet died. Therefore, the old covenant is still in force. So he tells this man to obey the law as it applied to his disease. But why did he tell the man to keep quiet? Jesus does this again very often in Mark. Everywhere Jesus went, he was completely misunderstood. Completely. His mission, what the Messiah had actually come to do, were basically never accepted. The people, what was their felt need? That they, they needed a champion to deliver them from the oppression of Rome more than anything else. They didn't want the suffering servant who would give up his life at the hands of his enemies to buy redemption. Why did people not want that? Well, there are several reasons here. That wasn't the felt need. Right? Jesus, yeah, can we get to salvation later? We need physical deliverance, Jesus, from this oppression, not salvation. You're not dialed into what we really need. So particularly early on in his ministry, Jesus didn't want his identity known. And if, if every leper in Nazareth came to Jesus, healing lepers was all that Jesus would get done. And beloved, that's not the point of his coming. But the disobedient evangelist, so to speak, can't help himself. In verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus was forced into desolate places so that he could keep preaching the word, meaning that his word does not have a home, is not welcome in this world. It wasn't and it still isn't. One main reason being we don't agree with Jesus that we need that word more than we need anything else from him. People think their problems are overall. That their needs, their concerns trump others, right? That's the way they conduct themselves. That, that you will answer my need, you will address my concerns. The whole world is like this. My need is the greatest need. Our collective need, society's need, culture's need, that's the greatest thing. No wonder Jesus is so hated. He disagrees with us on everything. Why does the Word of God have preeminence over everything else Jesus did? Why is the preached Word of the utmost priority in our lives as individuals and in our lives together as the church? In other words, when you come in here, a Dr. Phil type motivational speech is not what is needed. Jesus didn't come to do that. Dr. Phil came to do that. Right? That's what he's for. That's all band-aids. I'm not insulting the man. He's very smart. I don't mean that. I'm saying people think church is like glorified therapeutic deism. It's God being used to fix all my problems. Read the Bible. He doesn't do that. Right? He doesn't do that. 
And so we're frustrated with him, not because he's weak and doesn't understand and doesn't know, but because we're completely off base on what we think he's doing in our lives. Surely there are more pressing or immediate matters to address amongst us than the word of God for salvation. We would say, yeah, we already know that word. No, we don't. No, we don't. We'd be happy if we believe that word. We're stressed. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's trying to stay alive. The goal is to die and be with him. When we listen to Jesus speak, we begin to understand. We begin to understand. All we have to do is listen. Jesus Christ came into the world to proclaim the gospel more than he came to do anything else. Physical healing is for this life only. Right? Be honest with yourselves. Let's address the elephant in the room. How many times have we prayed for someone's healing and they didn't get it? Yeah. What are we going to do? Save that person. Don't let them die and they die. Is Jesus not merciful? Is he cold and callous and obtuse? Or does he know better than we do? It's one of those two things, but let's not act like that's not the case. Let's not do that. That doesn't help anybody in the church or outside the church. Right? You say your three prayers, you know your two verses, and everything gets fixed. No, it does not. No, it does not. The Bible is not, again, talk about this on Sunday nights. The Bible's not spiritual Prozac. Take two verses, call me in the morning. No. Beloved, most answers aren't there. What we have is the word of God that never changes regardless of what I'm personally going through. That's what we have. That's what we know isn't changing. That's what we know is God's will, right? We're always trying to find God's will. Why don't you rest in what you know his will already is? It's enough. If you needed the other things, he would provide them. He's not a liar. Right? He's promised to meet all of my needs. If there's something he's not doing, it must be that I don't need it, or I need a new religion. Trust him. Beloved, trust that what he's telling us here is sufficient for us, no matter what the need is. It must be that Jesus considers what he gives more helpful to me than what I think I have to have to be okay. All these things, they're not, they're not bad things. We're not bad that we want those things. Not at all. That's not why we're bad. The things that we want become to us the priority. That's what we're like. Why? Because we're fallen. We, in the Garden of Eden, we disagreed with God. What? That His Word was sufficient. That's precisely why Eve fell. Right? He said, I can't have this. I want this. Right? That, that, that's where everything started. It's always the main problem in us. We just don't, still don't believe it. Right? We never get away from the fruit. We never get away from it. It's in our DNA. 
we're fallen, so we take what we want, we justify it, we validate it, we spiritualize it, we prioritize it, we hold it over others. It fractures our relationships in the church, in marriages, with our children, at work, in our lives. It is fracture, fracture, fracture. We're in the dark, beloved. We're blind. The key to this world is not here. It's not in me. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're unclean. And even once God makes us alive and saves us, we continue because we still have this flesh hanging on. We continue to miss what God considers to be the most important thing he can do for us, give us life through his word. And that's what he does. Whether we are sick, whether we are suffering, whether we are uncomfortable, whether we are dying, that word holds and doesn't change. That promise is ours. It is yours. It is mine. It's not contingent on how I feel. The word that heals from God, which He can do and does do, the word that gives, the word that gives material gain is not the most beneficial word to us or for us. The word from God that saves us, beloved. That saves us. The most important thing for Christians to do is to know and believe the Word of God. This must be the priority for our own lives. It has to be the priority for our own church. It, it, it doesn't sink down into the everyday dealings of the church. The Word of God doesn't. There, there's, there's the level where we gather and worship and we have church and we sing and we pray and we preach. That's, that's very churchy, right? You get underneath that into administration and how people talk to each other and treat each other. And, and no, it's not trickling down to that. There it's my, my way or the highway, right? That, that's, that's what happens once you get under gathering together, right? It, it, it's, it's I want this, I expect this, I demand this, I need this. The minute you get under this, nobody's going to act like that in here, right? No, we, we all act like that. Later. So there's a, there's a, something's missing, right? The word's not sinking in. It's not sinking down. Has to be the priority for our own lives, for our church. Jesus says, in light of very real, actual, legitimate needs, I can't stay here. I have to go on. I have to keep preaching the word. That's why I came out. Beloved, we, we can't think the church has a different purpose than our Lord and head does, right? No matter what, keep preaching the word. We need his word. Let's go on to the next town so that I can get back to preaching. Here they only want me to heal. Focusing on healing made no sense to Jesus, right? Again, it doesn't invalidate the needs people had. They had them. They were real. But something was bigger. It's always bigger. The word is always bigger. The word is always bigger. We just don't agree with that. Why? Because I need this. And if it goes against something in the word, well, I'll find a way to, I gotta have my own way. I gotta get what I want. The word of God in Jesus Christ, though, brings unclean sinners like us that are like that directly into the very presence of God Himself. Beloved, this story means that God Himself 
has come close enough to touch and to be touched. He accesses us through His grace. We access Him by His Spirit who illuminates His Word to us. That is how God can be known. That's the only way God can be known. The Word of His Son. We don't know that everyone who was healed believed on Jesus for their salvation and gained eternal life. We don't know that. We do know that everyone who believed on Jesus for their salvation has eternal life. We do know that. That is the promise. Healing is a benefit. I didn't know that was there, right? Salvation is the promise. The promise. His healing of a disease is a sign to us that he can heal the disease. That damage that's been done by the fall that affects everything we are and our world is. That which is truly unclean about us. I mean, let me ask you a question. If you got to heaven and everyone you loved was there and everyone you cared about was there and you never had pain again and never had sickness and never had trouble and never lacked anything, but Jesus wasn't there, would it matter to you? Don't answer. Just think. And be honest with yourself. And if the answer is, I, I don't know. He makes you clean. He forgives. We love it. He knows that we are dust. That's why he's here. Because that's who we are. That's our malady. And that's what he heals. That's what this means. That's what this means. You leave us to ourselves, we'll find any other way of salvation than Jesus. He loves us too much to leave us to ourselves. Right? When we continue to live for ourselves and for our desires and for our expectations, we're just killing ourselves when we don't even need to. We have a promise spoken thousands of years before we were born. It's not going away. It's not going anywhere. I have everything I need in Him and in His Word. I'm trying to convince myself as much as I'm trying to convince you. His Word is enough. It's enough. Physical diseases, maladies, disabilities... they, they most likely are not direct punishment from God for sin, right? Like, you messed up so you're going to get cancer or something. Or you messed up so your baby's going to be disabled. It, it, I suppose it can work that way. But that, that, that's not why people are sick. That's not really why people are diseased. Like, it's, it's punishment. People are diseased. We're broken physically because our world is broken spiritually. There's sin in it. It's broken. It's been cursed. Nothing here works the way it's supposed to, including the human mind, for mental illnesses, including the human body, for physical illnesses. Nothing here works. Everything here is broken. So things like cancer, diseases, disabilities, these things are part of our world, unfortunately. That's not the way it was created or intended it or intended to be. 
But if Jesus only comes to address those things, it's like cough medicine for cancer. Right? Because that's not the problem. You, you, you would not think a paramedic a good person if your relative is dying of a heart attack on the floor and can't breathe and they're doing your dishes. Sir? Ma'am? No, I, 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 clean dishes bother me or dirty dishes bother me, you know, whatever it is. Things don't work as they were created or intended to. I don't say that callously. I, I've told you, I've shared with you before. I had a brother who was severely disabled, died when he was 10. I'm telling you, it hurts every day if it comes up. I hate it. I hate it that he was like that. I hate it that he died. Everybody in this room has a story like that. Everybody has suffered. Jesus is not making light of our suffering here. He's not ignoring it. He's not aloof to it. He just wants to actually heal us. And what we need is to be made clean. Right? Because all this is going away. All this is passing away as we speak. Trustees here do a wonderful job of keeping things together and keeping things clean. And it just, everything is continuing to break down in our world. There's nothing we can do about it. But there's rescue here. There's Jesus here. He didn't come mainly to address the symptoms. He came to address the disease Right? Again, church, the word, it's not supposed to be cough medicine for cancer. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here for therapeutic deism. Spiritualized, get better. No, 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 no. I'm, everything's dying. Everything's passing away. We need rescued. Rescued. When he touched this leper, he was telling us that God can put his hands on us. Not to destroy us, but to save us. The God who couldn't even be looked at under the old covenant has looked us in the eyes. He's grabbed us by the face gently, wrapped his arms around us in the new covenant. The priority of the priest's word in the church is for the salvation of people's souls. It's the means of our hope and our faith. God did not give us a moving target. Do you realize what this means? To know whether or not he was real or whether or not he loved us or whether or not he was with us. That's not up for debate based on our circumstances. Do you understand how kind and merciful this is of God to prioritize our need for his life-giving word more than anything else he can do? Right? If, if you only knew his presence by how well things are going, think about what that would do to your life. Some of us do believe that, I'm sure. Right? Think of how, how badly that would affect you and damage you, your psyche, your well-being, your way of thinking, that if things aren't going perfectly or going well, I must have done something wrong. He must not love me anymore. He must not care for me anymore. This is what we do to ourselves. Why? Because we don't believe the Word. There's not something God is lacking that He's not telling us that if He did, we would feel better when things go wrong. This is the Word of life. It's spoken over you. It holds. It stands. You don't have to work to stay in His good graces. If you have to work to stay in grace, it's not grace. It's the whole point of grace. 
Beloved, he makes us clean. He makes us clean and his word of promise holds over us no matter what our circumstances are. Whether it was our fault or not, his promise over me isn't changing. I may have to suffer consequences or problems here because of the decisions I make. Yes, that's the way of the world. But his promise over me has not changed. His love for me hasn't reduced. His grace, his promise, his covenant are not damaged. They're not changing. They're not going away. If, if, if all he could do is, or if what he prioritized was temporal things, that would be horrible news for people that need a savior. He gave us the enduring word that holds no matter how we feel, no matter what we have, no matter what we've contracted. And here's the beautiful thing. It's no longer a secret. This Jesus has lived and died and risen again for us. Right? Now it's public. Now tell everybody about it. And never stop. We're charged to tell everyone who Jesus is. To tell everyone, listen, he can make you clean. Right? Don't, don't sell something else. Don't tell people, I, I, I put God first and everything goes right. What does that mean? You put God first and now everything is going well. How do you explain when it's going well for people that don't put God first? Right? Beloved, the word is everything. The word holds. We're not to try and woo the world with earthly promises of good things. The world normally does a better job at providing those things than we do because we're small and we're limited. We are here that people might have life in Jesus Christ. We continue to remain on the earth so that they might hear the message that has saved us, beloved. God reaches out and touches the unclean and makes them clean. God has given him the authority to wash me clean, to take away my guilt. And when Jesus reaches out and touches this man, cures his leprosy, that is what he's telling us. I can do what my word says. I can overcome everything that limits you, including the law you cannot possibly obey, and including the sicknesses you cannot possibly heal, the one you don't even know about or don't believe. That's what he's telling us when he cures leprosy. I can do what my word says. This passage tells us that when we come to God and ask him to make us clean, that's precisely and immediately what he does. And listen, it's his will to do this. You can be sure of it. Right? Sometimes when we pray, we don't know what the Lord's will is. Father, I pray that your will would be done and we don't know. When you pray to be made clean... You know every time. It is his will. It is what he does. Save me. Be near to me. Help me. Hear me. Beloved, these are promises set in blood and in stone. This is Jesus for you. This is Jesus for me. Do you have him? Do you know him like this? June is going to come. And play, I'll be down front here if anyone needs to come and pray. Would you please stand? Away from Jesus is not the right direction to run.
no matter who you are or what you've done. He wills to make you clean. It's what he wants to do.